All right. How are you guys tonight? We're hope, I'm hoping there's not going to be a tornado warning while we're sitting here. So. Um, I've, just, I've just used 45 seconds of the time Susan gave me for that. Um, so good evening, folks. My name is Rick Howard, as Ryan said, and this is my wife, Michelle. Um, we'll be celebrating our 25th anniversary in July. Yep, yep. We have three sons, um, Ryan, Will, uh, Will, 20, Ryan, 18, and Ben, 17. And we are here tonight talking to you guys because of a casual conversation I had with Susan Cox some nine years ago about how Michelle and I learned how to prioritize time together a few years into our marriage. Our hope tonight is to share with you a little bit about our marriage journey and some practical lessons you might consider using in your own marriage and family. As a starting point, we'd like to share a little about our, our very different family histories, how that impacted our early mar- and how that impacted our early marriage years. My family story is pretty common, I think. I grew up in what I would call the undivorced home. I say undivorced because that term best describes my parents' relationship. In spite of a lifetime in church, my parents never pursued um, anything more than just a cultural marriage. Um, last year, their 62nd anniversary passed, 62nd, without any celebration, just as all their anniversaries that I can remember in the past. They never divorced, they never separated. As far as I know, they never even considered it. However, they also never worked on their marriage one day in my life, never sought counsel from others to help improve it. They never strived to love each other selflessly as Christ loved the church, as Paul describes in Ephesians 5. They never tried to resolve the conflicts that frankly have built up over the years so much that there's, you know, there's just this giant pile of junk under their rug. So, so for my family, I brought into our marriage a belief that the best way to make my marriage good was to avoid my parents' example at all costs. Um, whether in dealing with conflict, with money, with kids, or a host of other issues, my instinct early in marriage was to do the opposite of what my parents had done. In hindsight, that was a terrible strategy to use for a healthy marriage, to go figure. But I figured it beat my parents' model, so it was at least a good place to start. But after a couple of years, it became clear this was the wrong approach to take if I wanted my marriage to honor God and to not repeat my family history. So they're going to put a picture up on the screen, and I love this picture because it depicts the craziness of life for us and for most couples we've known over the past 20 years. Kids are the center of the marriage, and everything revolves around their needs, wants, and schedules. Parents lead lives separated by their kids as they indulge those wants and needs. Our three sons are now much older than they were when we first gave this talk in 2012. Ben, our youngest, is an 11th grader at Lake Highlands, and Ryan and Will are now off at college in Samford, at Samford University. But nine years ago, they filled our days with activities, sports, band, choir, small group, church service, and a host of other good stuff competed with our time as a couple and as a family. And on top of that, I was a third grade teacher, and Rick had a busy work schedule, so quality time together was hard to come by. How we've been able to move from a child-centered marriage um, to couples-centered one is what led us here to talk to you tonight. As with Rick, my approach to this issue started with my parents' relationship. I came from the exact opposite home life than Rick. My family had its own challenges, but my parents modeled for me how a husband and wife should be best friends. Although I did not grow up in a Christian home, my parents loved each other in a way I know honored God. One of my fondest childhood memories was every morning walking through the den and seeing my parents sitting together, drinking coffee and talking. They did this every morning without fail. They were also great about taking trips together 
each year without kids and having regular date nights. Until the, day, until the day that my dad died in 2003, my parents were best friends. So the model I brought into marriage was one of making time together a priority each day, and that was my expectation for our marriage. Rick and I dated for six months before getting engaged, and we married six months later in July of 1996. He was 32, and I was 26 when we got married, so we were not a young, naive couple that thought marriage was just an extension of single life or the honeymoon. Thankfully, we were in a good church with an excellent pre-marriage class like Watermark's Merge class, and we had an excellent pastor who counseled us before we were married. We prepared as much as we could before marriage, and we both felt like we went into marriage with our eyes wide open. Early on, spending time together was easy because it was just the two of us. We had opportunities to travel, and for the most part, we were free to do what we wanted as a couple. There was no need for a formal plan of hanging out because there were few distractions or interruptions. The one major obstacle for our time together was my chronic migraine headaches. When we first married, I would have two to three migraines a week, and they were so severe that they would make me sick, and I would often be in bed at night um, very early because there there were often several nights in a week we did not spend time together. So four years into our marriage, our oldest son, Will, was born in in April of 2000. Other than chronic sleepiness, Michelle's new role as a stay-at-home mom, the birth of our first child really did not alter our ability to consistently hang out together because Will was sleeping most of the time or was in bed early as he got a little older. Even when we added Ryan, 23 months later, we were still able to carve out our time together. Boys were in bed by 8 p.m. The interruptions were typically limited to eating and cleanup. But over the next few, mi- few, few months, our lives would dramatically change as Michelle's unexpectedly got pregnant with our third son um, when our oldest was 27 months old and Ryan was basically a mo- newborn. We could already see from our friends that had multiple babies how different our lives were going to be when we went from a man-to-man to parent zone parenting. And then in March of 2003, when Michelle was seven months pregnant with Ben, her dad was diagnosed with lung cancer. And just three weeks later, he passed away. And our lives were rocked by his death because of Michelle's close relationship with her dad and the suddenness of his death. And then you add to that a new baby coming in two months, and we were about to start the most challenging period we'd ever experienced in marriage. After Ben was born in June of 2003, Michelle battled postpartum issues along with the depression from the loss of her dad, and to some extent really the loss of her mom who was struggling with grief over her dad's death. You add to that fact that we had three babies in 37 months, if you're doing the math, and a part uh, demanding her time and energy and her heart, and this left Michelle reeling emotionally. As a result of our easily arranged night, as a result, our easily arranged nights became a struggle to carve out time together. Our time became the kids' time. It seemed like all we did was care for kids, go to bed, get up, and do it all over the the, the next day. It had the feel of the movie Groundhog Day, um, if you are cult- familiar with that one. On top of that, Michelle's grief from the loss of her dad really lingered for a couple of years. So it was during this period that our marriage was challenged more than ever before, and at the top of that list of challenges was the absence of our time together. We had no plan for how to change this, and that left us really unsure about what our next step should be. I think back on those days and remember how hard and challenging they were for us. Rick and I really struggled to communicate well and spend time together. And for the first time, we saw just how difficult a good marriage could be and how hard, how hard, how much hard work it took to stay close. God calls us to love our spouse above every, 
everyone else, and that is really hard. Uh, Many days, by the time he came home, I felt like a pressure cooker, just waiting to release this valve on top. Grief, migraines, and babies were all an emotional strain on me that would not go away. Around this time in 2005, our community group decided to take a parenting class, and it was during this class that we first learned of the term couch time. The idea behind it was at the end of the workday, the wife, not the kids, got the first quality interaction with dad when he got home from work. And practically speaking, what that meant was when Rick got home from work, he walked in the door, he gave the the boys a hug, and then immediately came engaged with me for about the first 15 minutes or so. Uh, as As a stay at home mom, after caring for the kids all day, it was so wonderful to be able to sit and talk with him and have an adult conversation, to tell him about my day, and then to reconnect with my best friend. It was also a reminder that aside from pointing them to Christ, the most important thing we could give our boys was a strong marriage that they could see between their mom and dad. For us, the first 15 minutes of couch time was just a metaphor for time together. Sometimes it was Rick sitting on the kitchen counter while I cooked dinner or us sitting at the kitchen table and talking. Over time, it evolved to even more time after the boys were in bed around 8.30. We would spend the evening together on the couch in our den, and sometimes we would watch TV, sometimes we would discuss things that we needed to to talk about, or we would just share our hearts. The goal was to be together. And we also learned from those conversations the importance of touch points during the day with phone calls and texts. What our boys took from this ritual was how important our marriage was to us. So important that our time together as a couple was a priority over everything else. Okay, so let's fast forward another five years to 2010. So as our boys got older, The world, as you know, began to creep more and more into our lives. We recovered from the loss of Michelle's dad and the stress of having three babies in three years. But as we exited the baby stage, we moved into the world of kids' activities. I grew up in a small town in Georgia in an era when you played sports based on the weather and the season of the year and were overcommitted meant you somehow managed to add piano lessons to your whatever sports you were playing at that time. So the pace of normal childhood in Dallas was just absolutely shocking to me. Friends with older kids said, hey, your boys have got to start playing sports as early as three or four. They won't have a team to play on. That's a lie, by the way. They also said every kid should play multiple sports, even if they overlapped. And of course, you got to do private lessons, and you got to be on a select and a travel squad if they ever want to play, uh, have a chance to play in high school or college. None of my kids have ever played any of those things. Um, as a short time later, excuse me, a short time later, I also made a huge job change. As I left my law practice of 16 years, and I joined Watermark staff, Um, leading our international ministry efforts. This one-two punch of life stage and the job change that created, job change created big challenges to our daily couch time commitment because as we walked through the kids' activity minefield, we also encountered the transition of, uh, the challenge of transitioning from law to ministry. My job at Watermark, I quickly discovered, was much harder and much bigger than I had expected, and my initial response to this was a huge miss for my family. My natural tendency when I'm challenged by something is just to work harder as much as I need to get the job done without regard for anything else, and that is what kicked in. As a lawyer for 16 years, unless I had a big jury trial coming up, work was basically something I did during the day at the office. I knew how to be a lawyer. I I knew what it took to do that, so work typically did not follow me home. After this job change, my job became heading to Watermark at 6 a.m., heading home at 6 p.m., giving Michelle and and my boys two unpurposeful hours before bedtime, and then out came the laptop and back to work I went. 
When our oldest son was the only one playing sports, the impact of the boys' activities was manageable. But as we added Ryan and Ben in the next couple of years, the, activity, the mix got really busy for us. We decided that if we let all three play multiple sports at the same time, our couch time was going to be submerged in a sea of practice and games and other kids' activities. Alone time, family dinner, spontaneous fun, they were all going out the window for months at a time if we embraced what seemed to be the norm in this part of the world for kids that age. So in spite of what many of us around were doing, we limited our boys to activities. We said one sport and one outside activity. With three boys, we were going to be busy no matter what we did. We knew that. But our decision to limit what our boys were doing allowed us to make time for us as a couple and with with family and couple as a priority over everything else. This decision solved part of our uh, time together problem as we used those limits to build in our couch time. What it did not cure was my obsession with work at Watermark. After about nine months of me working all the time and then jumping back into work after the boys went to bed, Michelle one night announced, this is not what I signed up for. What she really meant was I liked you better as a lawyer. Um, and And that wasn't a Watermark issue. That was a me issue, by the way. That was a wake-up call for me. It reminded me Michelle did not just want my presence. She wanted my attention. It was clear that that was not happening while I was obsessing over my new role at Watermark. Thankfully for us, we had the help of community. We had a staff team that worked through these issues and challenges, and we developed a plan that protected our couch time and then allowed me to be faithful in my job as well. So one of the things this couch time modeled for our boys over the years was that our marriage was the most important relationship in our family. The boys knew that we loved them dearly and considered them a gift to us, but they they knew that Rick and I loved each other in a different way. We wanted to model this for them so that they would strive to find this in their own marriages one day. Rick leads our home well in the way he loves and cares for me. When they were younger, he would tell the boys, I love you, but I love your mom more. And they understood that he didn't have a lesser love for them, but a different one, reflecting God's call to love me more deeply than his son's. And I love the verse from 1 Peter 4, 8 that says, above, above all, love each other deeply because, a lo- because love covers a multitude of sins. And isn't that what we want to be about? Loving our spouse deeply. Isn't that what we want us, our kids to see? That apart from Christ, there's nothing good in me. Absolutely nothing. Rick married a sinner just like him. And when I love Rick the way Christ wants me to love, it is so much bigger than the way that I want to love. I'm so thankful for the way he continues to love me in spite of who I am. As Michelle and I met with Susan nine years ago in preparation for the first time we gave this talk, one of her questions for us was about our spiritual walks. In some ways, that's a, that question was easy and the answer was predictable. Michelle and I have both spent a lot of time before and during our marriage alone in God's word, being discipled, discipling others, taking advantage of the many opportunities to be equipped at Watermark, um, and outside ministries like BSF as well. So the answers to Susan's question was simple. We would both say we have a strong relationship with the Lord, and we can see how much stronger our relationship is when, when we are abiding with Christ. John 15, 5 reminds us that he is the vine, and we are the branches, and apart from him, we can do nothing. I don't know of any area of my life where this verse rings truer than my marriage. For us to love each other well in spite of our flaws and shortcomings, mostly mine, is nothing short of miraculous. We have found during our marriage that when we are not abiding individually with Christ, we suffer as a couple and our boys suffer as well. 
But Susan was also looking for insight into our walk together with Christ. And I hate to say, even nine years later, that abiding as a couple has always been a weakness in our marriage. In almost 25 years of marriage, we've never really found that secret sauce of spiritual intimacy together. Um, we pray together as, with our boys as a family. We talk about what we're learning in God's word and our separate quiet times and studies. We pray with, with them and with each other when specific things pop up. But we've never been as consistent as we want um, and as we would like in spending time in God's word or prayer away from our kids. So if you ask me where are we always trying to take ground, this area would be the first one on my list. As the world rushes towards us faster and faster, the need to pray together for our kids, for our marriage, their friends now, and the ones in the future, and the lost folks God's put in their path grows each and every day. So now we want to show you another picture. And while the first picture depicted the craziness of life when we let the world control our home, this second picture shows you the boys and their lives. Um, it showed the boys and their lives in the middle and us on the outside. This picture shows the pers perspective that we strived for and that we wanted to have. Our marriage is the center of the family and the kids are the addition. Rick and I can create oneness by spending time together. And as a wife, I'm drawn more to Rick when I spend spend time with him. I feel like we're connected deeply as we share our hearts with each other. Now, this last picture, you know, this is the first time we've never used this picture before, um, but this is where we're heading in marriage. Our youngest son will be going off to college in 18 months. <laughs> we love you, Ben. And as this picture shows, we will be empty nesters. And what we've realized as we've prepared to give this talk, again, is that the couch time idea has been really more about preparing us for this part of life um, after the kids so that the husband and wife have a life when the kids leave. We're the married couple. All the time the past 16 years we spent focused on our relationship has ensured that we're still best friends who enjoy time together rather than a couple that wonders what is next in their marriage when the last kid leaves home. So no matter how we plan this out, whenever we have a chance to tell our story, there's always a lot left on the cutting room floor. There are folks in this room that have known us thinking you guys left a lot out of this story. That's because they know the imperfections we both brought to marriage. They know our character, our personalities. They know how often I've been known more for my sarcastic humor than being a man after God's own heart. They know how short-tempered, how being short-tempered and sharp-toned with my family is often my best form of communication on some days. They'd say Michelle can be too much of a people pleaser and that she struggles to admit fault with me. I say all this to make you understand we are very imperfect people, but our hope is in a perfect Savior in Jesus Christ. I'm almost seven years older than Michelle, and I often tell people that I believe God prepared me to marry her by helping me mature during my 20s and early 30s. If we'd been the same age and met in our mid-20s, Michelle would not have been drawn to me because my life looked nothing like Christ. Church was a Sunday obligation, not a daily relationship. Likewise, I suspect I would have found her just a little bit too nice for my taste. I would have been mistaken her gentle heart and her other-centered other nature for someone who's just... A, goody-goody rather than a Christ lover. But in spite of what we would call God's perfect timing for connecting us, in spite of the great pre-marriage counseling we received, and in spite of being surrounded in Dallas by great role models for our marriage from older couples, we would still tell you it takes hard work to make our marriage relationship a priority. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about marriage for a whole chapter. He reminds us in verse 28 that um, the folks, reminds the folks in Corinth and that uh, those who marry will face trouble. Paul knew that if you put two self-centered people together under one roof, 
for an extended period of time, there were going to be some hard days and maybe some hard years for a lot of you. Michelle and I are no different than most of you. We brought a lifetime of baggage into our marriage. The formula for trouble Paul talked about was there from the very beginning. And no matter what you do over the course of your marriage, that bag is going to be unloaded. What you do with the contents is what will impact your marriage. For us, we decided early on we were going to be what we call cycle breakers from our family histories of separation, isolation, and not following Christ. It meant looking to God's word and his people for wise counsel. What that meant practically was ordering our lives in such a way that God was first, our marriage was second, our boards were third, and everything else came after that. It meant that sometimes, guess what? We disappointed our boys. We angered our boys because we did not put their wants and their desires over our relationship. What we found the past four years is our oldest and our middle sons have headed off to college is that in spite of our well-made plans and years of success at making our relationship the most important one, couch time is only now getting easier. When, we were, when they were in high school, we still had to make our relationship a priority over all the different things they had going on. The pastor who married us told me that the most important job as a husband I had was to cherish Michelle. I did not take that advice lightly, nor do I take it for granted. I am regularly asking Michelle, how am I doing as a husband by posing that simple question, do you feel cherished to her? So if you hear nothing else tonight, hear us say that this will always be work for us and it will be for you. That couch, we used to do this with an empty couch up here, is nothing more than a metaphor for us spending time together. But the message that the cows delivers is that we love each other above everything else except God and that nothing will come between us. No matter where you are in your marriage, I want to encourage you by reminding you that God knew just how hard this journey would be and he's anxious to help you have a marriage that honors him. In John 16, Christ says, I have told you these things so that, you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. When we look at our marriage, we see a story that's frankly more consistent than compelling. We've been consistent in not settling for less than God's, what God desires marriage to, do, to be. Nothing more and nothing less, really. So as we close, the best we can do is leave you with a few suggestions that might help you in that pursuit. First, we want to encourage you that it's never too late to break, break the cycle of your family history and your own marriage by making couch time, uh, make your own couch time each day. Second, For many of you, the first step in cycle breaking might be as simple as just changing the focus of the first 15 minutes you're together each day. And then third, this is often the time of year that families are making decisions about priorities for the years ahead, those of you with kids. So the temptation to make all those kids' activity the focal point of your home will be there. We would urge you to not let that happen. You as a husband and wife are the most important relationship in your home. And your kids, and we see this now in our own boys, will be blessed when you prioritize that. And finally, if you don't hear anything else, above all else, abide with Christ and others who share his vision for marriage. Absent an intimate walk with the Lord, a community to help you along the way, this will be a very difficult change to implement. Thank you guys for listening.